Welcome to the Music and Justice podcast, where music is more than what's heard on the radio. On this podcast, we will be discussing crime, scandals, and the continued evolution of the music industry. On this week's episode, we will be discussing boy bands and Lou, Lou Pearlman. We are your hosts, Laura and Ivan. The reason we chose this topic today, or at least why I find it interesting, is because I'm a big fan of early 90s music and um, into the early 2000s as well. And of course, who doesn't love Backstreet Boys or NSYNC? I know when I was in middle school and elementary school, I was on the Backstreet Boys team and all the other girls or boys who liked NSYNC were lame. But I think we've all heard about Lou Pearlman and how kind of a horrible person he is. So I guess we thought it'd be interesting. What do you think? Um, Personally, I've never heard of this guy before. I am not into boy bands <laughs> or uh, that poppy music at all at, if, in general. But uh, I actually thought it was really interesting once we actually started to dive into uh, reading about him. I didn't realize who this guy was or what the stuff he did to these poor kids. Yeah. Um, and even before that, what he did to other companies and other people uh, by his basically shady business dealings. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, isn't it? Like, um, how he just found this, like, we'll talk more about it, but he just was like, wow, boy bands and all this pop music, it makes a lot of money. How can I capitalize on this? And we'll discuss more about not his only his music um, management career, but his other um, business ventures. Yeah, it's basically he was a businessman first and uh, kind of manager, music lover second. He was basically there to make as much money as he possibly could uh, despite whatever uh, other people's morals or what they wanted to do. So, yeah, uh, our next step will be kind of doing a brief introduction into what uh, uh, Lou Pearlman did and uh, his background information. So, uh, getting into uh, Lou Pearlman's background. Uh, He was born in New York State. Uh, He was basically enamored by aviation with a uh, particular fondness for blimps. Because who doesn't love blimps? Dude, it's like, remember at the Nick Choice Awards and you want a blimp? Uh, Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, and you get slimed. (laughs) Yeah, I totally forgot. I just walked that part out of my mind. But yeah, he for some reason he loved blimps, the the best dirigible out there, out of out of all out of all flying things. Yeah, the blimp. Honestly, anyway. I prefer hot air balloons, but whatever. I guess they're like mini blimps, right? Well, hot air balloons are at least I think they're a little cooler because at least hot air balloons could be in cool shapes and stuff. Yeah, and they don't have the bad rap like blimps do. Well, blimps are I mean? well, and blimps they're basically just used for. Walking bill or flying billboards. Yeah, like you see them like at the Super Bowl and stuff, don't you? I don't. Yeah, and I don't think they're even. I don't think they even show up anymore. Listeners, figure out the entire history of zeppelins and blimps. Send us an email at musicandjusticepodcast@gmail.com. Yeah, that's our email, right? Uh, yes, that's it. <laughs> yeah, give yeah. us the entire history of the blimp. Thank you. Yeah, but uh, he he loved blimps, and um, as a fun fact, because we give fun facts here. Hell yeah! Uh, I guess he was a cousin of Art Garfunkel. Who's that? Uh, from Simon and Garfunkel. I don't know who that is. Oh well, he's a fairly famous guy. Uh, not as pa- famous as Paul Simon, but his, his. Is he related to Carly Simon? 
Paul Simon? I don't, I don't think so. Okay, maybe this is for another episode. Yeah, All right. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, he was basically a, a student at Queens College in Flushing, uh, New York City, which is a borough or a town inside the borough of Queens. Uh, he During while his, while his time there, he wrote a business plan as a class project uh, to start a taxi helicopter service in New York. And he actually, uh, with some... Uh, he actually set up this business in the late 70s with a helicopter. It uh, didn't really do all that well, but you can see how he was kind of all into uh, flying in general. Uh, he actually started his first airship company called Airship Enterprises Limited uh, after coming back from uh, an airship learning trip where he, he met with a guy uh, like Theodore Woolen. Kemper, Wollenkemper. Wollenkemper. Yeah, Wollenkemper. Uh, <laughs> yep, yeah, a very German dude. I guess he he was a prominent German businessman and was really also into aviation. So um, Wollenkemper kind of took him under his wing for a little bit, taught him all about aviation and business. Um, but when he came, when, when uh, Perlman came back, uh, he started this Airship Enterprises Limited. And basically what he did is he got Jordache. Oh my gosh, people. Am I the only person that remembers Jordash jeans? No, I don't. I, I've never owned Jordash jeans. Because they were horrible, well, that's anyway. why. Um. <laughs> anyway, so I guess he, he got money from Jordash. Um, before actually owning a blimp, he got himself funded. Uh, he constructed the blimp, where it then promptly crashed into the ground. Uh, the two parties then sued each other. And Perlman actually ended up winning the, the lawsuit, uh, making $2.5 million off of this lawsuit. Serious question. Sure. Do you think Lou Perlman had a major raging boner for Howard Hughes? I have no idea. Do you know who that is? Yes, I know okay. who Howard Hughes is. Okay. Continue. <laughs> anyway, his second company, Airship International, because Lou Perlman was great at naming things, uh, was started in 1985. And basically, he made it uh, public so you could buy stocks in it. And he made uh, he raised three million dollars in order to purchase a blimp uh, using stock payer money. He said he was uh, partnered with Wallenkemper in this enterprise, which was false. Um, he then had uh, several blimps, which he leased out to a, a couple different companies, including McDonald's. Uh, he then moved his business to Orlando in July of 1991, where he got a little bit bigger. Um, well, not bigger, but other... Uh, he is a big man, I'll say that uh, much. Well, he is large and in charge. <laughs> I wasn't talking about his weight in this <laughs> particular uh, instance, but he signed MetLife and SeaWorld as clients, uh, along with McDonald's. Uh, he eventually, though, uh, a client left, and another three of his airships crashed, uh, so the company really started to suffer, and his one $6 shares dropped down to $0.03. Cents, and the, comp- the company basically went defunct at that point. One thing that was interesting to me is, like, when they're talking about his past, he had four blimps crash. At least yeah. that, was, that was noted. How, how do you have four blimps crash? Wouldn't that be, like, in the news? Well, I don't um, think, I don't, well, I don't know. Like, are people on blimps? Yes, well, yes, people are on blimps. Do you think they died? No, I don't think they died. Well, but how do you have four four aircraft crash <laughs> on Like, you? shoot, like, if there's, like, a if an airplane, like, skids off the jetway or, like, delays for five hours, you're here all about it for a week and a half. How does, like, this, like, 
fly, if you will. Like, how did no one investigate this guy? I, don't, I have no initially. idea. Initially. I have no idea. Well, uh, and uh, this was also the time when you start to see some of his more shady dealings. Um, while he was running Airship International, um, and after it went public in 1985, so he's basically getting money from the average everyday investor. Uh, he has a close relationship with this guy, Jerome Rosen, who's a uh, partner at a small cap trading outfit, um, Norbay Securities. And at this point, this guy was keeping the stocks solvent. So basically, he was still earning money off of investors, even though the company is not reporting any profits or any revenue, uh, so to speak of. Uh, Perlman basically, or allegedly paid Rosen handsome commissions, um, and they were making like tens of thousands of dollars per, per trade. Okay. So they were making money off of poor people, even though Aww. he's out there crushing three blimps of his. Oh, that's uh, a bummer. So that's, that's kind of... Uh, Lou Pearlman's start of his career uh, in aviation at least and um, the next kind of step for him would be moving into the entertainment career uh, he saw uh, the the band New Kids on the Block which I'm not all that familiar with either Dude, New Kids on the Block is horrible but because <laughs> from like I'm also an avid trash TV watcher, and if any of you people are in love with VH1 the way I am, I think there was, like, Surreal Life, which is, like, a take off the real world or something, and one of the guys from New Kids on the Block was on it, and I don't remember which one, but it was horrible, but who listens to New Kids on the Block? Like, people like our mom's age, I think. Maybe a little older. I I don't know. It's very, like, mid to late 80s, early 90s. Yep, I... I did not pay attention to that. But anyway, he became fascinated with them uh, because he saw these young people basically just raking in money uh, for, you know, just being pretty and somewhat singing and making young girls love them. Anyway, uh, (laughs) he... uh, Too bad, um, what's his face? Steve Buscemi doesn't have the same effect on young girls, you know, with his good looks and whatnot. Sure. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> he, uh, he started the the Transcontinental Records. Uh, I I don't I don't get his naming schemes or anything. I think they're all supposed to be transcontinental. Sounds like it's trying to be airshipy. Yeah, they all sound like airlines. Honestly. Uh, yep. Yeah. Anyway, uh, he so he created that, and uh, he first signed his the, the newest band, the Backstreet Boys. Backstreet's back. All right. Yep, which consisted of five unknowns, uh, virtually unknowns, uh, during a $3 million talent search. And he got the new kids on the black manager, Johnny Wright, and his wife uh, to manage them. And uh, now we'll have uh, Laura kind of talk about a little bit about the Backstreet Boys. Hell yeah. Um, So kind of like how Ivan gleaned... um, Backstreet Boys were formed in 1983 in Orlando, Florida. Their members, which you may or may not find interesting, are A.J. McLean, which is personally my favorite. He was definitely the hottest Backstreet Boy because he was kind of a bad boy, but then he kind of went to rehab and did a lot of alcohol and drugs, so I guess he's not that cool anymore. Um, 
And then there's Howie D, who was my least favorite. He had the worst hair. Um, Nick Carter, who everyone knows because of Aaron Carter, and they were in the news recently. Kevin Richardson and uh, Brian Luttrell. Uh, fact, they sold over 130 million records worldwide, making them the best-selling boy band in history and the only boy band to have their first nine albums make the top ten of the Billboard 200 charts. So take that in sync. Um... Initially, this band, the band was formed when Lou Pearlman placed an ad in the Orlando, Orlando Sentinel looking to compose a vocal group. Um, Backstreet Boys had their name given to them by Pearlman because it was a uh, take on the Orlando's Backstreet Market, which at the time was a local teen hangout. Um, so everyone knows they're very successful and... Um, they made a lot of great singles and were very popular, went on tours, but the lawsuits begin in 1998 when Brian Luttrell brought a lawsuit to Lou Pearlman and Transcontinental claiming that Pearlman had not been truthful about the earnings made by the group. From 1993 to 1997, Pearlman and his company took about $10 million in revenue while the band only got $300,000. Oh, excuse me. Um, in October 1999, uh, the Backstreet Boys faced new problems, declaring their current jive contract null and void, soon striking up one of the largest record deals ever, and that was valued at six, uh, $60 million. Um, in 2002, the group expressed a strong desire to leave their management company, The Firm. However, Carter, Nick Carter chose to remain with The Firm to manage his solo career. Shortly afterwards, the rest of the group began, began recording their next album without him. Um, the relationship with Jive Records worsened when the Backstreet Boys filed a $75 million lawsuit against Zomba Music Group, which is Jive's parent company, claiming a breach of contract. They claimed that the label promoted Carter's, Carter's solo album at the expense of the group. Um, in, on June 23, 2006, it was announced that Richardson had left the Backstreet Boys to pursue other interests, and the rest of the group issued a statement on their official website stating that he departed amicably and the door was always open for him to return. Um, Richardson announced that he rejoined the group permanently in 2012 after a six-year hiatus. Um, the Backstreet Boys members were due in court on March 24, 2014, over a claim they filed against their former manager, Lou Pearlman. The group alleged that Pearlman still owes them over $3 million, and they were also asking for over $87,000 in legal fees for having to fight him in court for years. But earlier that month, the group stated that they have a scheduling conflict and discussed postponing the hearing by 90 days. 90 days later, or more, in October of 2014, the group received a cash settlement of $99,000, 34 audio tape reels, 26 CDs, seven audio, um, seven studio mastering audio tapes, seven sealed poster or six sealed posters, three audio cassettes, and one VHS tape. The recordings include some of um, their unreleased mixes, demos, and original materials. Um, in September 2016, McLean and Carter officially confirmed that the band will be done with the album with their new album the following year along with a new headlining tour and later on the Backstreet Boys confirmed their Vegas residency show happening in 2017 um, an interesting fact during 
their entire tenure as a band early on in 1997. Doctors discovered that a congenital hole in Luttrell's heart had enlarged to dangerous proportions. Brian Luttrell postponed the open heart surgery twice, some neat touring obligations, and he finally underwent the surgery in 1998 during the middle of the Backstreet's Back tour. The group postponed the tour in July of 1998 to allow him to recover. I actually remember that being highly publicized um, after one of their CDs came out. And I was like, oh, my God, is this gonna, kid going to die? And then everyone in school kind of became obsessed with people like, oh, do you know someone that has an enlarged heart and stuff like that? Because I know someone that has an enlarged heart. But it's kind of dangerous stuff. And part of me thinks, oh, man, did Lou Pearlman be like, no, you're fine. You're fine. Just go on tour. It's not a big deal. Everyone has holes in their heart. I have a five. It's not a big deal. Um, so, like, that's what I kind of took as like taking a step back i was like huh if this guy really was only in it to make money was he really willing to put his band um members at that in that place where they could potentially die on stage and harm themselves like what do you think like just from what you've read so far i honestly i didn't even know about this Oh. So, uh, Laura, I was the one actually researching the bands. Yeah. So I, I honestly don't know that much about <laughs> them. All I know is, uh, if anyone's going to their Vegas residency and wants to take me, I'll come with. Yeah. I'll pay for my flight. Uh, the basically, uh, as far as my Backstreet Boys and NSYNC knowledge goes. Um, yeah. What did did your sister like them? My sister liked NSYNC. Of course she did. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure she liked Backstreet Boys too. Uh, I which one was Joey Fatone in? Oh, you mean Joey Fat One? Um, <laughs> what? That's his name phonetically. Yeah. He was an in sync. Okay. Don't worry, I'll give you an entire history of in sync as well. Yeah. So I know I know of him. Uh, basically through another podcast that we listen to, or at least I listen to, Tom Steve Dave. Uh, oh, that's he's, funny. He's good friends with uh, Brian Quinn on that. So that's where I know him from. He seems like a pretty pretty chill dude but no yeah yeah, from like what i'm gonna give you like from what i've read him and nick carter seem like the most um maybe like like not successful but like they still have working careers in the entertainment industry but on that note well i mean justin timberlake's well i'm talking about the backstreet boys ivan i'm not talking about nsync get with the program well fatone wasn't nsync oh my bad sorry Whatever. Unless you're telling me wrong on that one, too. No, I'm right. (laughs) I'm just dumb, not paying attention. that's okay. It's okay. But on that note, if you guys were curious, um, real quick, um, all the Backstreet Boys had uh, really short solo careers. Um, Fun fact, AJ McLean had a alter ego named Johnny No Name and has launched a line of liquids for his e-cigarettes that he sells. Mm -hmm. I was like, liquids for what? <laughs> oh, you know. Uh, vape Nash, y'all. Um, Howie D, like I said, had a solo career and also did voice acting for Dora the Explorer and Arthur. Um, also, a lot of these folks, both Sync and Backstreet Boys, they all have done a stint on Dancing with the Stars. And um, Nick Carter also has his own reality show, House of Carters, which I've watched, and it's prime time trash television it's great watch it um kevin richardson and brian luttrell are actually cousins that's pretty neat and richardson also um modeled for versace and a was also a brand ambassador for tog hoyer 
I don't really care for watches, so I don't know if that's a great brand or not. But he was also in a Broadway production of Chicago. Um, Brian Luttrell started a Christian music career, or as he calls it, pop positive, and is obviously a born-again Christian. Now that I've told you all about the best-selling boy band of all time, let's go on to someone who just didn't make the cut and is not the best boy band of all time. In sync. So, they were formed in Orlando as well in 1995. Um, Lou Pearlman saw the success of Backstreet Boys and was like, I'm going to make more money off these talented people who are pretty and can sing and dance. So let's make a new band. Um, their members were Justin Timberlake, JC Chazé, who is the worst, um, Chris Kirkpatrick, which if you guys are fans of Eminem, he tells him to get his ass kicked in one of his songs. Um, Joey Fatone and Lance Bass. Um, Kirkpatrick actually didn't make the cut for the Backstreet Boys when he auditioned, and he was really one of those people. He also met with Pearlman. He's like, yo, let's make another band. These are obviously successful people. So that also kind of jump-started Pearlman to get involved and create another band and another source of revenue. Um, A fact about their name, um, it was inspired by Justin Timberlake's mom, who said that they were in sync with each other, and it was also a play on the last initials of their names. Um, they also hired, Pearlman also hired, uh, the same manager of the Backstreet Boys, Johnny Wright, to manage NSYNC and house them in Orlando, Florida to record and practice their music. In 1999, NSYNC encountered a publicized legal battle with Lou Pearlman due to what the group believed were illicit business practices. NSYNC sued Perlman and his record company, Transcontinental, for defrauding the group of more than 50% of their earnings rather than his promise of only receiving one-sixth of the profits, similar to his promise of one-sixth of, of the profits with the Backstreet Boys. Um, with Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, he always coined himself as the sixth member of the band, so he was taking a sixth of their earnings, which obviously was... If you look at the numbers, it's much more than a sixth. Since with the Backstreet Boys, they only earned $300,000. He, he earned $10 million. Um, the group threatened to leave and sign with Jive Records, which prompted Perlman and RCA to countersuit NSYNC for $150 million um, and for the use of the name. Perlman's request for a preliminary injunction against the band was denied, and after reaching a settlement out of court, NSYNC signed with Jive. Following the release of their celebrity album, the group embarked on a four-month-long stadium tour to promote the album, which earned them $30 million. Following the tour, they went on a brief hiatus that turned permanent, and they never toured or recorded ever again. In 2007, Lance Bass confirmed that the group was never, ever getting back together. Rip. As a true fan of all boy band music, I had both of their CDs, um, but obviously was more of a Backstreet Boy fan. But just like the Backstreet Boys, all members went on to pursue solo careers, and the only person of note is Justin Timberlake. Um, he actually has pretty good tunes, like that Cry Me a River song and the video where he's just like, screw you, Britney, even though I love Britney. Um, it's hella good. Um, so we already know about Justin Timberlake. No one cares. Um, JC Chazé, who is my least favorite sync person. He's horrible. He also has really bad hair. Um, served as a judge on America's Best Dance Crew. That was on MTV. And 
like I said, had a solo music career. Chris Kirkpatrick was on the CMT show Gone Country 2 and has done voice acting for shows like The Fairly Odd Parents. Um, he was one of the bullies in that show. I can't remember. Um, Joey Fatone has acted in the My Big Fat Greek Wedding franchise and has been on Broadway, uh, particularly for Rent and Little Shop of Horrors. And like I said earlier, um, he, like many others, appeared on Dancing with the Stars. Now, Lance Bass, on the other hand, was also on Dancing with the Stars, but went to Russia to become a cosmonaut, but didn't have enough of a financial backing and had to leave the program. He still expressed a strong interest in wanting to go to space and actually, when he was younger, was really interested in becoming an astronaut and working for NASA. But obviously, those dreams were put on hold so yeah cool. the, that's like the life history of InSync and the Backstreet Boys yeah uh, wasn't so I know uh, Timberlake was all Mouseketeers yeah and I think Fatone was on, was a Mouseketeer for a bit yeah too. there was a lot of Mouseketeers like excuse me um, like Ryan Gosling he was a Mouseketeer Christina Aguilera um, Britney like yeah. a lot of people were Mouseketeers which I'm seemed like a very viable option for a lot of pe- uh, people at the time, you know, putting their kids in music and dancing and being with the Disney and all that stuff. So, well, well that's why it kind of it seemed different. Like for Backstreet Boys, it seems like well, I don't I don't know where the Backstreet Boys Mouseketeers do. Um, I believe Nick Carter was and maybe AJ McLean. Um, don't quote me; I could be wrong. So it could be Nick Carter and one of the others, but it makes sense. They're all from the Orlando area, so right. But yeah, he's like he set up the talent scouts to go mm-hmm. get three hundred three million dollars to find all these kids, and then for the second group, he's just like, oh, Disney's already pumping these kids mm-hmm. out. I can just steal from them. Exactly. Well, cut, look at it like, what was it with uh, Disney Channel and like Miley Cyrus and all those people that did High School Musical? It's the same thing. Just they rebranded it. Yeah. So, uh, kind of jumping back into the lawsuits that uh, Laura basically. Uh, covered already uh, he ha- he had a bunch of other little bands that he tried to uh, create that uh, most of which you probably hadn't even heard of oh, yeah you listed them the other day and I was like who the hell is this yeah uh, I think one of them was a girl band uh, that originally had Britney Spears in it and so she was with the group for a very short time before kind of branching off doing her own solo thing. Mama Lynn Spears put the kibosh on that and was like, my girl can sing. Yeah, probably. <laughs> anyway, uh, they... Uh, so all these bands, basically, uh, all, out of all of them, there was only one that didn't sue Pearlman. Uh, the band US, US 5. Uh, out of all of them, they were the only one that didn't sue him for misrepres- misrepresentation and fraud. Uh, all of the all of the cases against Pearl Men had have either been won or uh, they have brought lawsuits uh, against them that have been settled out of court. Um, in most of the cases, they all have confidentiality confidentiality agreements on them, so none of the bands can actually talk about uh, or talk bad about Pearl Men or just what they received in the settlements in general. Yeah. Uh, the Backstreet Boys, as Laura, as Laura stated, I think they were the first ones uh-huh. to. Uh, so yeah, um, like Brian Latrell, and I'm assuming like 
Um, I don't remember exactly how old they were at the time when they started the Backstreet Boys, but I'm assuming either a lawyer or a family member was like, this doesn't seem right. Why is my son or family member touring months out of the year, working so hard, making all these albums, hit singles? Why are they only making $300,000 as an entire group? That makes no sense. Yeah, especially the fact that he's like, oh, I'm a member of the band too. (laughs) Yeah. I'm, I'm just as important as everybody else. You don't see any girls at the concert being like, oh my God, Lou, sign my shirt. Yeah, and what's interesting about this is he's also not... He's not really a producer. He doesn't no. know anything about music. No. He's basically just the owner of this company. Yeah. So, like, like on our previous episode when we're talking about Dr. Luke, mm-hmm. that's a guy that actually knows stuff about music, and he actually makes music. Yeah. And he makes popular music. This guy, he doesn't know anything. He loves he loves blimps. But he's but he's a businessman, and he knows how to manipulate people into yeah. basically getting what he wants. Um Oh, and to come back, uh, one of the the later ones, uh, his later lawsuits was also Aaron Carter, mm-hmm. brother of Nick. Um, that was accused, and he was accused of uh, uh, cheating him out of hundreds of thousands of dollars in two thousand two. Um, did you guys also have Aaron Carter's CD, Aaron's Party? Uh, my sister did. Yeah. What's the did he do... What was the, the... He also did, like, that song. He's like, I'm playing with Shaq or whatever. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And didn't he do the candy? I want candy. I want candy. Yeah, I that's think him, so. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Not be to be confused with Candy by Mandy Moore, which is hella good, obviously. It's quite the banger. <laughs> well, uh, so... Uh, after all these things, that is not what actually got uh, Ron Perlman. Sorry, Ron Perlman. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, uh, Lou Perlman sent to jail. This guy does go to jail, by the way. Um, Spoiler alert: He did go to jail for basically uh, starting a Ponzi scheme. He started these two companies that were only uh, companies on paper uh, by the also original trans. Continental Airlines Travel Services and the Transcontinental Airlines Incorporated. Both these, not real companies, but he's still got people to invest in them, uh, basically stealing their money uh, without ever having to show anything for it. So is that like pretty much what basically a Ponzi scheme is? Like It's just like, oh, I'm this, I have this company and I, you can invest in it and make big money and then the investor gives money and then like oh the company fails or whatever and he pockets the money is that essentially what a Ponzi scheme is yes it's okay. it's sorry if you like literally just explained that no but, um, it's essentially yeah getting investors to just constantly invest into something uh-huh. that they never really have anything to show for huh. uh, they'll they'll get things to make it look legit. And it's all just basically a facade to give a person money. I'm sure they make really fancy and elaborate looking graphs on Excel. Um, uh, yeah, I'm sure he was great at Excel. <laughs> uh, but uh, he was later charged uh, with this Ponzi scheme and was uh, sentenced uh, in 2008 to 25 years in prison uh, and charges of conspiracy, money laundering, and making false statements during a bank- bankruptcy proceeding. Uh, all of his companies uh, were forced into involuntary bankruptcy in 2007. And uh, all of it, this is kind of interesting, all of his assets were basically uh, auctioned off and they used yeah. eBay to do it. Ooh. So they sold all of his stuff 
Uh, fun fact here on Wikipedia is that one of uh, a journalist from the AV Club actually bought his uh, college degrees, <laughs> and uh, that's how he—that's where his college degrees are. I, mem- I wonder if any of our listeners have a Lou Pearlman original in their house. I, yeah, that'd be interesting. <laughs> I, don't, I wouldn't buy any of his. No, stuff. right? Because well, if he's such a fraudulent person, I bet like half of that stuff's fake, or like he made something. Like you know, anyone can make a college degree anymore and look real. Yep. I also uh, kind of skipped over this. Uh, on top of all that, he also had like a talent scouting kind of agency and during that time he was also brought up on all these other um, malpractices uh, as far as uh, pulling uh, getting talent scouts Uh, some people were saying that he was just bringing in uh, people for headshots making them pay for uh, basically using the, the talent scouting agency and then never really doing anything with it so he was also sued for uh, lying to those people. From what Tyra Banks has told me on America's Next Top Model, if you ever have to pay at a talent sourcing thing or a talent scout thing for your headshots and pay this money, it's fraudulent. That is not real. You do not do that. Like, they will do headshots for you and then, like, really basic ones, but then they'll be like, okay, we want to see more with you and do more work with you. They won't be like, okay, come to our place do this thing, do the headshots, pay us $500, okay, bye. Like, that's not how legitimate places work, according to Tire Banks. Yeah, I wouldn't, well, I wouldn't, that's, yeah, that's interesting. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know, I would assume that if you're going to use the the company, you'd probably have to put money down. Well, at least, like, in the modeling industry, I guess I would have been taken for money. Well, you should probably watch America's Next Top Model. Um, just saying. Uh, and to finally close out this man's life, uh, in 2008, during um, in his prison sentence, uh, he uh, died of a stroke. Mm-mm. Oh no, sorry. 2016, he died. Yes, my my. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, yeah, sorry. He did, but sorry, he did suffer a stroke <laughs> in 2010 while he was incarcerated. But he died of a stroke. He died of cardiac arrest in uh, 2016. Yeah. Yes, I uh, misread that. Uh, he was 62 years old, and. Uh, Yep, he, poor guy died in jail. I wouldn't call him a poor guy, but yeah. Well, by that time. There's actually a Wikipedia sub-article of Americans who've died in prison. I looked that up earlier. It's pretty neat. Yeah, but I also, so while while researching this, I wanted to kind of look up to see what uh, all the people that you kind of screwed over, what they thought about his death. And there's, a, there's an article on NPR where it kind of goes over uh, his death and what uh, some people said about him. So, like, Justin Timberlake, he, he wrote on Twitter uh, that he hopes he found some peace and that God bless him and uh, uh, to rest in peace. Uh, Chris Kirkpatrick uh, wrote that he had mixed emotions right now, but he also hoped he rested in peace. Um, there, were, there were many people that were basically stating mixed feelings, how they, would, they felt that they wouldn't have been popular without him, but at the same time they stole... He stole millions of dollars from them. Yeah. Which is, I don't know, it's kind of an interesting, interesting feeling. It's almost kind of Stockholm syndrome Like, well, my abuser let me live with them and fed me, but they also killed my family and raped me for years. So it's kind of okay. My, well, I don't think <laughs> it's a little extreme. Yeah, so but, like, you know what I'm okay. saying, though? Like, they're, like... They were like, oh, this guy was horrible, but allowed me to be successful and have a good life 
later on. So right. it's interesting. Well, and I, I kind of wanted to see what Justin Timberlake kind of thought because, well, his mom was a manager for mm-hmm. some of the bands. and Didn't you say that um, Lou Pearlman was, like, involved or, like, was a manager of some sort for uh, Justin Timberlake's mom or something? No, so he he basically made her a manager for one of the girl bands. I think okay. it was called Innocence. That's the one that Britney Spears was initially a part of. Um, and oh, that's, that's probably that how up. they met. Who? You don't know that Britney Spears and JT dated? No, they would have met during the, the Mouseketeers. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so it would be interesting. Like, they seem to have a close relationship between at least those two families. Uh, but, yeah, it was most of them had mixed feelings about the guy, um, which, I don't know. I guess it's understandable to have mixed feelings, but, yeah. That's kind of uh, yeah, at I, least about uh, Lou Perlman. Yeah. I keep want to say Ron Perlman. Who are you thinking of? Is there a Ron Perlman? Yes, there's a Ron Perlman. Who is he? That's a... It's a... Um, yeah, because I'm like, Hellboy. you keep saying Ron. Hellboy? Hellboy? Who's yeah. that? You don't know who Hellboy is? No, Ivan. Oh, my gosh. Here. <laughs> Everybody, one second. Oh I'm looking up Ron Perlman for Laura here. No one cares about Ron Perlman. The only Ron they care about is Ron Swanson. And then Ron Perlman is... Oh, is he the guy from Zoolander? No. He looks like the guy. It's oh, wait, guy no. from that... Sons of Anarchy. I, and I don't watch any of these programs. Okay? It's a movie. Mall movies. I watch uh, British crime procedurals and trash TV. So I don't watch this. His <laughs> anyway. face looks really weird. He looks like a Neanderthal. He's got a really big forehead and no eyes. Well, okay. <laughs> uh, poor Rod Broman. Well, he does, he's not going to listen to this. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, so that's uh, the background and everything you need to know yeah. about um, Mr. Lou Pearlman. So yeah, like after Ivan did more research, we kind of learned that it's not necessarily music industry corruption because this man, he was not really involved in the entertainment business. He was a businessman who saw an opportunity to make a lot of money off of boy bands and pop music. And like Ivan said earlier, He didn't really know anything about how to make music or how to produce it. He was just like, hey, I know how to embezzle money and be fraudulent and a white-collar criminal, so let me see if I can make more money doing this. So it's kind of interesting because I feel like most people that I know who know of Lou Pearlman are like, oh, yeah, he's that guy who was in music and he was corrupt and blah, 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 when really he just was a white-collar criminal starting in the 70s and has been doing this his whole life right yeah i mean i honestly i don't know what role he had in the actual music process see really i remember like watching trl and mtv and then all of a sudden be like hey 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 here's uncle lou how's it going yeah oh (laughs) i mean i didn't look far enough into his life to see like if he knew how to mix music how to he, I don't know, gave give the Backstreet Boys and the NSYNC their sound. From what it seemed like, and... Um, it was probably uh, Mr. Wright. That yeah, but like he totally was like, oh yeah, I'm the sixth member of the band, so I'm sure he made some kind of impression, and um, one of our friends, she always makes fun of Lou Pearlman, she's like, um, she's like, you know what, this song needs more dinks, and apparently, <laughs> if you 
you listen to like Pearl, not Pearl Jam, Jesus, they are way better than Lou Pearlman will ever be. Um, if you listen to NSYNC or Backstreet Boys, there's all of these like ding, 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 dinks. So if anything, he was really good at making all those dink noises in mm. the tunes. So he definitely was involved in that. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. One thing that I thought was interesting about this case as well, that kind of brings us back to last week's episode is kind of the fact that as a kid, do you know what you're signing when you yeah. when you jump into these contracts? Well, at least some of the like at least some of them had to be at least eighteen, but all of their parents were very much involved. And especially with Brian Luttrell and Kevin Richardson, those people were family. And then Nick Carter and his brother Aaron Carter, who was also managed by Lou Perlman, that's family. So they knew what they were getting into. You'd think they would have been like, hmm, wait a minute. Like, why are we doing this? Why are we going forward with this person? Right. And yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think about like today, like if you're going to enter in a contract with somebody, at least you could like Google them. Well, Back yeah. then you could... I mean, like back then, if he, if they had the internet, you go they, to a local library and well, use the Dewey Decimal. Well, system. even if they did, they type in Lou Pearlman and they see that he started this company, two, mm-hmm. three, two different companies, and have them both basically go belly up. Well, yeah, uh, and had four blimps explode. Yeah, you would think, oh, maybe this isn't a worthwhile investment to be with. Well, this it's dude. one of those things too. We live in this age where information is so readily available. We have twenty-four hour news coverage all the time, which is redundant. Um, But people still make poor business decisions because they trust in an individual. So this person, Lou Pearlman, similar to Dr. Luke, was probably very manipulative and was very could play a very trusting individual and people fell for that even though they were like hmm i don't think this is right but lou wouldn't do me wrong right yeah and you got you have that i mean i'm not we're not stars or anything but you get that that thing where you're you're brought out of nothing to Mm -hmm. start on by this this one person and you might feel like oh you owe that person something for for doing what what they did to show Show you to the world. And Good stuff like rule that. of thumb: if you make yourself successful, you owe nobody nothing. Yeah, that's in my personal handbook of life. But whatever. But it's really interesting. I think that even today, so many up and comers, young people, and even current stars, they probably are cuckold by their managers and producers into doing things they don't want to do. Especially like we talked about on our last episode with Kesha, mind you definitely listen to that episode there's a lot more in um involved with that but i feel like sometimes entertainers are um pushed to do a lot of things because their producers or managers like oh you'll make lots of money oh you'll be really successful but these people are also in it for the money too they get a commission check from everything like they always talk about this on keeping up with the kardashians mama chris she loves kim because she gets makes the most money she gets 20 percent. you know so yeah, I mean, I, that that makes sense. But I, especially in boy bands, though, I think, like, boy bands are there to make money. And I yeah. think they, most of the time, they realize that, that they're not there because of their, like, most of them don't play instruments. They're or if not. they do play instruments, that's not what they, that's not what they focus on. It's always their voice, them dancing. Like, mm-hmm. what's his face? Yeah. Uh, who well, was on, who was a judge for yeah, uh, who America's da- Next ban- Best Dance Crew. And like I said, almost all of them did a stint on Dancing with the Stars. Because, well, they're, they're showmen. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're, they're part singer, they're on the other half, they're actor, basically. Right. 
so they they understand that they're in there for the entertainment and not there for like the music per se. Well, I could say I, from what I've seen and listened, I think um, today's boy bands have definitely had to evolve from just that showman mentality. Like they have to have a talent other than being able to dance and maybe sing a little bit. They have to be almost standalone characters and um, people on their own. Like if you look at One Direction, mind you, I'm not a big fan of them, but they all have, I think as of right now, maybe their own solo ventures. They all can play guitar for all intents and purposes they probably just know a handful of chords here and there but they have to be standalone people they can't just depend on their bandmates anymore well i don't i i don't think backstreet boys are in sync dependent on their bandmates well backstreet boys is still together so they kind of do depend upon them and i'm just saying that one direction i don't think there's any difference between one direction and really and sync and backstreet boys No? no i think it's this it's still the same formula you got a bunch of cute-looking little boys to get uh, girls go crazy for them. Because, well, I mean, I'm sure most people understand that the biggest market for selling music is girls between, like, the ages of 10 to 16. That is the biggest age uh, music demographic. Because they know girls, they're going to buy, they buy music way more than uh, boys do. Do you think then there's the potential that maybe people in the marketing industry are understanding that like the social being if you will is changing and people are looking for more body positivity or um empowerment like yeah the like i listen to the spice girls all the time when i was a kid and i still do and they're all about like girl power and like hanging out with your friends like fuck boys all that stuff do you think like that is something that they're recognizing in the changing trends and maybe they're changing like who they choose to market because of those positives as opposed to being like oh you're a pretty face you know no no you think they're still just being like you're pretty oh i mean look at justin bieber he has bad hair it it, it doesn't matter he has he he, i don't know if he still does but he had a very devout following he still does but i feel like they've kind of tapered off especially when they were like oh you're dating kardashian well it's because you're you're fan base grows yeah and they're no longer that specific age group and once the girls realize that they can listen to other music they <laughs> they change their tastes as well yeah so like boy bands they always have i don't know it seems and once again we're not music we're not music historians we're not music experts well i don't know about you but for the most part it seems like they have a shelf life yeah and at the, after that point then you they're kind of like child else. stars you know what i well, mean of course yeah they're child like, stars. well you know what I mean, like child actors, like they're only good up until like they're 10 and then they're like, oh, well, you're done. Sorry, we're going to throw you out and get someone else. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think that yeah. basically covers Lou Pearlman. Yeah. Uh, it was, I don't know, I had, I had some fun uh, researching him. I didn't, yeah, like like I said, I didn't really research the bands. Yeah. That part of it didn't really interest me. Uh, <laughs> I was more into the seeing how this guy manipulated people and how he did it. It was very, very interesting what he did. Uh, so, yeah, I think that pretty much wraps up our show. Yeah. Um, um, minus our uh, music recommendations yeah, for the week. Yeah, which is the best part of the episode. <laughs> so, Laura, uh, who have you been listening to? <laughs> oh, man, you guys. Um, I've been listening to a lot of Michael Jackson recently, specifically um, the Bad album, because... It's just so friggin' good. Oh my god. Like, 
the students at work, I work at a university, they make fun of me because I listen to so much Michael Jackson and they're like, oh my God, you're listening to him again. I'm like, you guys, he's the king of pop. Rest in peace. He's the best. But on the note of MJ, we're planning on doing like a multi-episode venture on Michael Jackson and that whole thing. So get ready for that. I've also... On the other side of things, I've been listening to a lot of Alice in Chains, specifically um, their album, Jar of Flies. Their EP. Whatever, Ivan. It's semantics. They have, like, if you go on Spotify, it's like a whole album. That's an EP, but please continue. They're really good. Um, Rest in peace, Lane Staley. Um, That's kind of a bummer you died. But... Ivan and I actually saw Alice in Chains. It was like a year or two ago. Yep. Yeah, it was really good. I thoroughly enjoyed it. One of the best shows I've ever been to. It was just a really great time. I don't know. I really like Alice in Chains. They're definitely one of my favorites, one of my go-tos when I'm like, okay, what do I want to listen to? And they're just they're just amazing. I feel like they really exemplify that like harder side of grunge and you know what I mean in hard rock. In my opinion, like I am not the biggest alternative grunge enthusiast but for me i'm just like okay when i think of grunge and hard rock i think of alice in chains yeah they kind of got a almost sludge metal kind of sound to them they're not i mean there's definitely the side of grunge where it's more almost punk yeah uh yeah they're more of the like the the yeah the grungy Mm -hmm. metal or side while you have like uh, Pearl Jam mm-hmm. is a little bit more poppy, a little more mm-hmm. bluesy. Well, and also, like, I feel like you... Because Soundgarden has such a, such a distinct sca- sound because of Chris Cornell's voice yes. and guitar riffs. And um, same with Alice in Chains, Lane Staley's voice. And, yeah, Jerry. And Jerry um, Cantrell. Cantrell. Like, they just have such distinct ways of creating music that it's almost like they're more than just grunge and hard rock. There's something else. But I just, like, the minute I hear them on the radio or if I've got Spotify on shuffle, I just don't know exactly who they are, who's playing, what song it is, and what it makes me feel. I just, I love Alice in Change. They're definitely one of my favorite bands. And actually, nerdy moment, I was in a marching band show in college, and we had a grunge show. And one of the songs was Man in the Box, and I, like, freaked out out i was like this is the best day ever this is like what it all means i just i freaked out i loved it one of the best marching show band shows i've ever been in and will ever be in so those are my music recommendations of the week so allison change allison chains um jar of flies and michael jackson 25 i mean not 25 um that's the 25th anniversary edition of bad um yeah and and just to piggyback off that really quick if they're one of the like the only bands that can actually replace, they actually replace their singer, I think, successfully. Oh, and yeah. And a lot of people, I mean, they haven't listened. I'm sure there's not a lot of people that have listened to their newest stuff. But if you listen to uh, Black Gives Way to Blue, yeah. which is their... I was going to recommend that album, actually. Yeah, uh, with William Duvall, who's their their new singer. That guy can actually sing really well. Yeah. Um, and uh, I like him a lot because he doesn't replace Lane Staley. You no, know what and I he mean? doesn't. He doesn't pretend like, to. No, he doesn't either. Like he has very similar vocal tones, and he can hit some of those like in Wood or Man in the Box. Like you're like, okay, this is Alice in Chains. But yeah. then you listen to other stuff, and you're like, okay, this is Alice in Chains, but also uh, 
Willie Duvall. Like, it's just amazing. The transition is seamless. They did an amazing job. And like Ivan said, they they replaced Lane Staley, but they did not replace him, if that makes sense. Yep. So uh, going off of what I've been listening to, um, I'd like to recommend two bands. Uh, one band is called Rain Wolf. Rain as in R-E-I-G-N, as in a person who reigns over someone else. Uh, they're a, it's basically, uh, one kind of one dude, or I guess it's a, I guess they are a trio. Uh, they actually haven't released a album or even an EP. They have a set of four or five songs. Uh, they're all basically singles. Uh, is it available on Spotify for yep. people to listen? Yep. You can definitely listen to them on Spotify. Uh, they're kind of indie rock, blues rock, uh, harder stuff, uh, I think they're just really talented, and you should definitely give them a listen. Uh, not too much to say about them since they don't actually have too much music out, but yeah, but give them a listen too. Hopefully, more to come. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and the second one is a band that's been around a while. Uh, looks like, according to the Wikipedia page, since 2002, but it's uh, called Dead Sarah. It's got a, uh, a lady singer, uh, Susie Melody. Um, you might have heard their song Weatherman. Uh, it's a great rock song. Uh, they do. They're actually they're very good. Uh, they, I don't think they've come out with anything too recently, but uh, you should give them a listen. Uh, in particular, uh, the song uh, Mona Lisa or something good. They have uh, either the album Dead Sarah or uh, Pleasure to Meet You. Uh, two really good albums to uh, give a listen to. Nice. So, uh, yeah, I think that pretty much wraps up our yeah. show. Those are our recommendations. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, and if you guys, um, if we made any s- crazy errors in the episode, please shoot us an email at musicinjusticepodcast at gmail.com. Um, please check us out on Twitter. And we're slowly but surely trying to get our podcast on iTunes. They have not gotten back to me because I'm sure they're busy dealing with the iPhone business. But, um just please give us a shout if we're doing anything that's completely wrong or if you have any recommendations of what we can do better or any episode uh, topics that we should cover. Just shoot us an email at musicinjusticepodcasts at gmail.com. Yep, and uh, you should be able to listen to uh, this episode and our their previous episodes currently right now on SoundCloud. And yep, we're hoping to get on iTunes soon. Mm-hmm. So thank you very much. Yeah. Um, until next time. See ya.